The first is John 14, verses 12 to 14, which says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verses 7 and 8, and then verse 16 as well, says the following. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then finally, John 16, verses 23 and 24 and verses 26 and 27 says this. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 26 and 27, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I have come from God. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, open up your word this morning, my prayer is that the, um, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, would be pleasing and acceptable to you. It would be beneficial to your people, for you are our rock and our mighty fortress. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to conclude a series of messages I've given that I've entitled Devoted, things we are to be devoted to as Christians and things that we as a church are to be devoted to. And several weeks ago, if you remember, I pressed upon us the need to be devoted to the Scriptures, not just generally good with the scriptures or even generally believe the scriptures or even at a high level believe in the inerrancy and so forth of the scriptures but personally and congregationally devoted to them then we moved on to what it means to be devoted to the fellowship we're to be devoted to one another we're to be devoted to each other in looking out for the good of one another and welcoming one another to ourselves Uh, with open hearts and uh, like Christ welcomes us. And uh, and then two weeks ago, we looked at we're to be devoted to the Lord's Supper, uh, which points us to the one sacrifice of Christ to bear our sins. And today I want to take a look at, turn our attention to prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer, right? Would you guys agree with that? The early church was devoted to prayer. And I think when I say prayer is important, just that statement, there's, there's, a, there's an internal reflex. We, we know that prayer is important. We understand that. Every Christian, I think, really does understand that prayer is important. It might be the ultimate does statement to say prayer is important. But it's one thing to say that prayer is important. It's quite another to actually be people who are devoted to doing it. Right? right? It's good to say it's important. It's better to pray. Would you agree? Okay, good. We're on the same page here. Well, John Owen, um, he kind of gets to the crux of the matter when he said that prayer for the Christian 
is the vital breath of our spiritual life unto God. It's the vital breath of our spiritual life unto God. It is vital. It's like breathing to the spiritual life. Prayer is like that. Prayer was vital to the early church. It was vital to the vibrancy of the early church, and it ought to be, it it will be, uh, either prayer will be the vital breath for us as well, or to our detriment, it won't be. Well, these 10 verses that were read just a few moments ago are all from one conversation Jesus had with his disciples. It's sometimes called the Last, uh, Last Supper Discourse or the Upper Room Discourse. John 14 through 16, Jesus teaches what's most important, what's uppermost in his mind the night before he is to be crucified, the night of his betrayal. And so we can expect these words, the teaching on prayer, to be a vital importance to our Lord and hopefully to us as well. Now, when I think of prayer and I think of Jesus' teaching on prayer, I think automatically of the Lord's Prayer. And I love praying the Lord's Prayer. I wonder if you do. I learned it as a, as a young kid. One, I think one of my kids asked me, how did you learn it as a kid? Well, I learned it in the King James, right? I mean, everyone has to learn the Lord's Prayer in, the King, in King James. I mean, it's hilarious. I, I, there used to be this pastor's prayer group I'd go to, and if you, every once in a while we'd end with the Lord's Prayer, and everyone would start in the uh, version of the Bible that they read, NIV, ESV. But at a certain point, everybody would end up going to the King James. <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, I love the Lord's Prayer. Um, I pray it often. In our home, I, we pray it every day, word for word. We recite it. Um, I don't say we like we all do it together, but we pray that. I pray that often. Um, The Lord's Prayer gives us a pattern for prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, say this, and then he tells us what to say. So he gives us this pattern for prayer. In these verses that were just read, I think we have divine principles of prayer, Uh, principles from the Master. Andrew Murray, an old um, Dutch Reformed guy from the 1800s, um, he wrote a book, or, or at least it's under his name. I don't know if he wrote it or if some others compiled it and put it under his name. But there's a book by Andrew Murray called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And I love that. I love that title. I love that name. With Jesus in the School of Prayer. And that's what this is like. We have divine principles from the Master himself on prayer. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, When Jesus was talking to his disciples, and when we read these 10 verses that were just read, what was Christ trying to get across? I wonder if you picked out some repeated phrases. I mean, repeated a few things many times, like over and over and over again. And whenever we hear Jesus repeating things, especially in a short span of time, we ought to be clued in, this is really important. This is really important to him. So here's the three principles. They can be summarized in three words. Invitation, access, and expectation. Okay? Three divine principles from the master on prayer. Invitation, access, and expectation. So let's look at how Christ draws these principles out. And quite frankly, my hope is that the result of our time this morning is this that you actually pray more. 
not mainly. I mean, I want you to get these principles because I think they'll help you pray more. But I don't want you just to get these principles and say, I, I understand. I want you to pray more. And I want you to pray with faith. And I want you to experience answers to prayer. <clears throat> so, let's look at the first, uh, first principle. It is the principle of invitation. The principle of invitation. Prayer is our response to a great, large-hearted invitation. It's us responding to a massive, large-hearted, generous invitation. We are invited to pray. Now, we just need to pause there for a moment, I think, because this is the most astounding thing in the universe. I don't know if you like our current president or our last president or the one before that, but if a president that you liked called you and said, hey, call me up anytime you're in great need, you would think, what a privilege that is. The God of the universe, he is El Shaddai, he is God Almighty, and that's who Jesus is, by the way. He invites you and I to pray. I couldn't help but think of the story of Esther this morning and this part of it. When she was deliberating whether or not to go before the king, it was a daunting thing. You don't just walk before the king uninvited. We're invited by the king of the universe to come to him in prayer. Have you ever sought thought and considered how truly unbelievable this is. And the invitation is great. It is enormous. Once you and I really hear the invitation, and it's like it kind of goes from, you know, up in our brains down into our hearts, and we, it really sinks in, how could we ever turn it down? The first two words in John 14, verse 12, which kind of sets the stage, are the words, truly, truly. Jesus says those words often in the Gospels, doesn't he? And whenever he does, we ought to, our ears ought to perk up, and we ought to give careful attention. Truly, truly. Now the word truly in the Greek is the word amen. It's the word from from which we get amen. Now what is striking here is usually we say amen at the end of a prayer, Right? If, if somebody, or at the end of prayer at dinner time, everyone says amen, or some people say amen, or if you're in a prayer meeting and someone prays something that you're in agreement with, you say amen. The word amen means true. Jesus front loads his teaching by saying amen, amen. This is true. This is true. And then he says this, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Now he says something before that, but then he goes on and talks about prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. This is the invitation. Whatever you ask, I'll do. Clearly, Jesus is not first and foremost concerned about the content of what we ask. That's not unimportant, what we ask. 
but he wants us to know that we're invited to come and to ask. In a bit, I want to show you that I don't think this is a completely unqualified whatever you ask sort of statement. There are parameters to our asking, but here, what Jesus is doing here is he wants us to know how willing and kind he and the Father are and how desirous they are to hear our prayers and bless us. <clears throat> Remember that, story, that account where Jesus, uh, it's at, right after he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 8, he comes down the mountain after preaching that glorious sermon and a leper approaches him. And, you know, lepers were like, they had their leper callings. They stay out there and, and we, you know, us clean people stay here. And this leper approached Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Remember what Jesus, how he responded? He said, I am willing. Actually, he said, I will be clean. It's a picture of the willingness of Christ, of our Father to receive us, and in the context of prayer, to hear and answer our prayers. Think about this. The Almighty God is our Father who loves to hear our prayers and loves to bless us. Every, every parent understands this, at least on some level. Every parent who loves their children loves to bless their children. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, if you, being an evil father, evil parent, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Which leads to that little three-letter word that I think is all important when we're talking about prayer. It's the, it's the word ask. It's the word ask. Jesus repeats this word ten times in this teaching. He says ask. It assumes that there's an authority structure, right? You demand things from people you think are beneath you. You ask from those who are above you and who have the power and the ability to do what you ask them to do. So we are to ask God. God is higher than us, infinitely higher than us. It's only by grace that we can even pray. He is our authority above us, and so we ask. We don't merely tell God what we want. We, must, we certainly must not demand from God what we want. I have to say, I was listening to... Uh, a portion of a message uh, not too long ago from a, an individual that you might know the name of. I won't say his name here, but, and I was shocked about the way, by the way this person was talking about how they approach and address God. Demanding, giving ultimatums to God. And I thought to myself, I don't think this person knows God. God is higher than us. God is above us. We may draw near and ask and ask boldly, but we draw near and we ask. Jesus said, ask, 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 ask. Is that 10? Ask. Ask. 
Jesus addressed the Father in prayer, humbly. The eternal Son of God did. We have, we have an entire chapter of a prayer from Christ to the Father, and he addresses him as his dear Father who is above him. And he humbled himself before him, not in his eternal nature. I don't mean that, but he humbled himself before the Father. And you know what he did? He asked the Father to do things. And that's how we approach him. We ask. It's not a lack of faith to ask God. I've heard people say that. It's not a lack of faith to ask God to do things. It isn't. I love when my kids ask me. I do. <clears throat> not when it's an ask, not when it's a veiled demand, <laughs> but when they really ask me for things, especially when I have the power to do what they ask me to do. Now, you may have noticed Jesus says, in one place, he says, ask me anything. And then in another place, he says, ask the Father anything. Which is it? Well, I think the pattern of prayer in Scripture, not just here, but elsewhere in Scripture, is that we pray to the Father. We come to the Father through Jesus in the Spirit. It's a Trinitarian transaction. We go to the, to the Father in the name of Christ, in the Holy Spirit, but... We can ask Jesus, we can ask the Father, the Holy Spirit's God, we can pray to him too. But I think the pattern given to us, certainly in the Lord's Prayer, is that we pray to God as our Father, and we see that throughout the epistles as well. Now, I said I would get to this, and I want to, and I need to. Uh, This is not to diminish the invitation, but rather to put a finer point on it. I think we probably all understand that the word whatever, ask whatever you wish, or ask anything, the word anything, is not totally unqualified. Could you think of anything that you shouldn't ask God for? Thank you, Brinley. Brinley's nodding her head, okay. We can think of things we shouldn't ask God for. We can think of anything that would fall into the category whatever that would sh- off limits to ask God for. So what is Jesus, how are we to understand this? Now, before I get there, I want to say this. I think we want, please hear all that I'm about to say, okay? I think we want to err on the side of presumptuous, being presumptuous and asking for too much than then err on the side of approaching God as though he's a tight-fisted miser. We have to pry things out of his hands. But our passages, I think, help to clarify parameters of asking anything. And it's actually in John 15, 7. I read it just a few moments ago. John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. When we abide in Christ, which means we're saved through faith in Jesus and we're remaining in close fellowship with him, right? We're remaining close to him. And when his words abide in us, like the words that he spoke, then we can ask whatever we wish. And he'll do it for us. 
And I think this is why. The kinds of things that we pray and ask for will be the kinds of things that he is so eager to give us according to his will. They will be the things that he has promised to give us and to do for us. The Puritans, uh, it was said about them that they were just these robust, hardy Christians, 1600s, 1700s, that they would approach God in prayer with their hands full of his promises. Promises in hand, they would come to God in prayer. And that's how we ought to approach prayer as well. With God's promises, with his word abiding in us, and we bring those to God and we say, God, you have said this. Please do it. I ask you to do it on my behalf. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon entitled Pleading Prayer, said the following. This is the sure way of prevailing with, God, with the Lord in prayer. We may humbly remind him of what he has said. Our faithful God will never turn back from his word, nor will he leave it unfulfilled. Yet he loves to be inquired of by his people and put in mind of his promise. This is refreshing to their memories, to our memories, reviving their faith and renewing their hope. God's word is given not for his sake, but for ours. His purposes are settled, and he needs nothing to bind him to his design of doing good to his people. But he gives the promise for our strengthening and comfort. Hence, he wishes us to plead and to say to him, Father, you have said. And that's how we approach God in prayer. Father, you have said in your word. It's not that we always have to quote Bible verses, but we want our prayers to be informed by the promises of God. Reminds me of, um, you know, Reed was mentioning or opened up our service by talking about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father being poured out, and we pray for that, and we ought to pray for that. Reminds me of a, of a time when God graciously poured his Spirit out up, uh, upon a group of islands off the coast of Scotland uh, called the Hebrides or New Hebrides Islands, Uh, 1949, two old sisters, two old women, and they were old, they were in their 80s, sisters, 82 and 84, I think they, they were. They were burdened for their community and for their church. And so they called their pastor and they told their pastor about it and their pastor was like, man, these sisters are wise sages, let's, you know, they're, they're, they, they're experiencing the burden of the Lord. And so the pastor and these two old ladies and the deacons decided they were going to start praying. And they were going to start praying one particular promise from the Bible. They believed it was a promise. Isaiah 44, 3, which says this. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now they prayed other things, but this was what they were seeking God for, was the promise. They believed to be a promise for us, for them, for us as well. And they prayed this. And the, the, old lady, the, the two old sisters lived on one side of the, the community and the pastor lived on the other. He said, hey, we got the town covered. And 
one night, God answered. God answered in a great outpouring of his spirit that lasted four years, transformed thousands of lives, transformed, transformed these islands. God heard and God answered. Well, we too are invited to pray. Ask whatever you wish. If my word abides in you, if, if, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. Second principle is access. Access. So prayer is responding to God's invitation. Big invitation. The second principle, access, is, has to do with this. Prayer is to be traveled on the access road that God provides for us. And it's a good one. We don't want to try to pave our own way because there's no other way, actually. We want to go on the, on the on, we want to, we want to go via the access road he provides to us. One thing we need to ask about in prayer is this. When we come to God and ask for him to do things for us, whose name do we come in? Whose name do we come in? Do we come in our own name? And I don't just mean saying the words. I don't. Because I've never heard anyone pray, oh God, I come to you in the name of the DeGroote family. <laughs> okay, I've never heard that. Um, but whose name do we actually come in? Do we come to God in prayer in our own name? In other words, do we come to God on the basis of who we are and what we have done for God and in the strength of our own faith and what God ought to do for us because, hey, it's me, <laughs> right? Well, Jesus would say no. In fact, Jesus said four times, this is something he repeated over and over again, in my name. Whatever you ask, in my name. In other words, we petition God on the basis of who Christ is and what he has done and the access that he grants us to God and because of his special relationship with God, not ours. We do have a special relationship with God, but you know, you know how we have that, right? It's through Christ and through Christ alone. So to pray in Jesus' name is so much more than just tacking those words on at the end of a petition. Growing up, I think that's what I thought it was. I saw the words in Jesus' name, those three words, as kind of like a magical mantra, kind of like a secret passcode. Okay, Lord of the Rings, okay, the, the Fellowship of the Rings. The, the fellowship comes to the, they come to the mines of Moria, and there's that big door, and Gandalf needs to say the password. Right? The password for Christians in prayer is in Jesus' name. It's not like that. That's not the way it works. It's so much more than just the words. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are traveling the access road to God that he's given us. Think about this. When you and I are in prayer, what is happening when we pray? Like when we pray to the Father because he's invited us and we pray in Jesus' name. Do you know what's happening? You and I 
are taking a trip to heaven. It's true. And I don't mean, you know, people have written books about their trip. I don't mean like that. Sometimes they take those with a grain of salt. I don't, you know. But we really are. We're taking a trip to heaven. Our prayers certainly are. Revelation, there's this great picture of the prayers of the saints depicted as incense rising before God's throne and rising day and night. In other words, perpetually, all the time, rising up before God. What a picture. What a truth. Our prayers are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. They don't stay in this room, and they don't just stay in this earthly realm either. They go all the way to heaven to the throne of God. They ascend to his throne. But it's not just our prayers that reach the heavenly throne room. When we're praying in Jesus' name, we are reaching there too. Hebrews 4.16, this is to be experienced by faith as well. I'm not saying God couldn't give us a, an experience of this where that's extraordinary. He could. But this is just something we do by faith. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We draw near to the throne and we can't forget how on earth we are permitted to come before God's throne. How, can, um, how do we have access to do that? It's through Christ. It's in his name. We come in his name. We come through him. The two verses right before Hebrews 4.16, verses 14 and 15 make this abundantly clear. How we draw near to the throne of God. It has everything to do with Jesus. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest, that's Jesus Christ, who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive. One of the great subjects in the book of Hebrews is how a worshiper, that's you and I, may draw near to God. And over and over and over again, we are beckoned to draw near through Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way. Beyond this, when you and I come to the throne of grace through the access gained in Jesus' name, whose merit do we come and ask in? It's Christ's. Or let me ask it a different way. Who deserves to receive the answers to our prayers? Jesus does. He does. You and I don't. We deserve God's wrath. We don't deserve blessing, but he pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing through Christ. So we ask in his name because he's the one that deserves the answers to our prayers 
because he's perfect and because he's purchased through his work on the cross, he's purchased every promise for us. So we ask in his name. We ask for his sake. We ask because of the perfection of his life and the atonement of his sacrifice. Think about these different strands that come together to make this unbreakable cord that we have in Christian prayer. Think of this. In prayer, we draw near to the Father at his invitation. He invites us. We draw near through Jesus, the access point. We draw near asking for the promises to be, his promises to be fulfilled on our behalf Promises that Jesus has secured for us. And he secured them through his perfect life, his atoning death, his resurrection, and the fact that he's at the Father's right hand interceding for us right now. Remember earlier when I said how the Puritans would come to the Father with, in, in prayer with promises in their hands, promises that are promised to us in and through Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to the glory of God. In prayer, we should ask the question, not only, we should ask the question, whose name am I coming in? Coming in. Am I coming in my own name or am I coming in Jesus' name? It's so important. So important. We are to consciously, consciously draw close to God through Christ, asking for what we need and what we want in his name because he's the only one who grants you and I access to God. And he's purchased every precious and great promise. And he's the one who deserves the answers to prayer. Third principle, expectation. When we pray, Jesus wants us to expect, to experience answers to prayer. Six times Jesus says something to the effect that he or the Father will give what we ask for. Okay, so there's this invitation. Ask anything. My, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish. And then he'll give it to us. Now, I understand that this raises questions. We all have experienced unanswered prayers, right? No doubt. God did not answer this or that prayer, at least the, the way that we prayed it. We, we understand that. I understand that. Of course, we're always to submit ourselves to God and entrust ourselves to him in our prayers. But again, the teaching here strongly suggests that we should constantly or consistently, not constantly, maybe, but consistently experience answers to prayer. Now, I wonder if you're like me and if you just had a moment of self-reflection in your prayer life, if you just thought, you know what? Sometimes my prayers are so vague <laughs> I don't know if I ever, could ever find out if he did answer or not. God, I just ask you to do something in this situation, you know. Um, we, should, 
we should try to zero in and with the promises of God in our hand, God, I'm asking you, Father, I'm asking you to do this in this situation right here. We should come to God in prayer with expectation that he not only hears us, but that he will answer our prayers. And I love this. It's, it's so personal. John 16, 23 to 27 tells us to come right to the Father through Jesus Christ because he's our Father. Jesus says, in effect, you can go right to the Father in my name and ask. And I won't ask for you. You can ask him directly in my name. And why? Because the Father himself loves you. This brings us right back to the beginning. God Almighty is our kind and wise and loving Father who loves to bless us. Remember what Jesus taught, I mentioned this earlier in in Matthew 7. You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is right on the heel. This is right in the context of Jesus teaching on the Lord's Prayer. This ought to enable us to come to God with great expectation. Our Father will give us good things. And I like to think of it this way God will e- either give us what we ask for or something better. Something better. He loves to give us good things. He loves to give us the best things. Have your kids ever asked for anything that, and they had good intent, you know, they're, they're young. They don't see the end, you know, they don't, they don't see very far in the future. Your kids ever ask for something that maybe you'd give them 10 years from now? But not right now, no. <laughs> that ever happened to you? I mean, if you're, th- all right, if, if your three-year-old asked for a BB gun, nah. not gonna give it to him. Real quick, just in passing, we could park here for another message, but we're not going to. But I do want to mention this. There are three overlapping purposes of answered prayer. And I think this just helps highlight that we ought to have expectation that God will answer our prayers because the first one is that prayer is for God. Answered prayer glorifies God. Do you know that? Answered prayer glorifies God. Uh, John 14, verse 13 says this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Answered prayer glorifies God. Again, John 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And I think the bearing much fruit is answered prayer in the context The fruit is answered prayer. So, the first purpose in answer prayer is for the glory of God. The second one is answered prayer. Now, get this. This is is challenging because I want more answered prayer. I want to experience that more. It proves that we are disciples. Answered prayer proves that we really are disciples of Christ. Again, John 15, 8. By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and prove 
to be my disciples. This is right after he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And finally, this is a glorious purpose of answered prayer, fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Pam shared with us Wednesday night answered prayer for her nephew and she was beside herself. (laughs) Tears and giggling and rejoicing that her nephew who has been wayward for many, many years seems to be coming back to Christ and we ought to continue to pray that he would. Fullness of joy. Here's what Jesus said. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. There's so much more that could be said about prayer. We're to be persistent in prayer. I get that. We're to be persistent in prayer. We're to keep coming like the the widow coming to the unjust judge, that parable Jesus tells us. We ought, to be, we ought to be bold like that neighbor who goes to his friend at midnight and says, give me bread, I need bread. Can't you wait till the morning? No, I need it now. But I hope you understand, prayer is, it's, it's an invitation and we respond to it by coming and we come to God based on the access he gives us and we come and we ought to pray with expectation that he will answer. So I want to ask you a question. Do you pray? Do you pray? I was convicted not too long ago that when I face difficulties, when I face trials, when I face opposition, whatever it is, oftentimes for like a day, I will think about it a lot and not do much praying about it. And it's almost like God bangs me over the head. It's like, is, you know, the next day, then finally, as I'm just like weary with mulling over this problem, then, you know, then I pray. Do you pray? If you would say, you know what? I really don't. Can I urge you to, urge you to do something? And I love you. I hope, I want you to know I, I love you. But would you Repent. Would you repent of your prayerlessness? Not would you. Repent of your prayerlessness. The neglect of prayer, listen, is practical atheism. It is. It is to go through life as though God doesn't exist. Or it is to relate to a God, and I would say small g God, quite unlike the true God of the scriptures. And it's also pride. Prayerlessness is quintessentially pride because prayer is an act of humility. We come to God and we say, I am needy. God, you are sufficient. And so I'm asking you to do this on my behalf. What if God took back his invitation of prayer? What if God said, when you come to me, I won't answer? Wouldn't that be the most daunting and frightening thing to hear? Maybe right after, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, there is a place where, G- where God actually says that. 
in Proverbs chapter 2, he says this to certain people who won't heed his counsel. And Jesus is counseling us today on prayer. He says this, because I've called to you and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Jesus is counseling us today that our Father is inviting us to him and he's made the way open through him in his name to pray. Will we heed it? Let's do. If you're mostly prayerless, repent and heed his counsel and respond to his invitation this morning to pray. And second, just by way of application, when you pray, here's something I would encourage you to do. Start as you read through the Bible. I trust we're in in the scriptures, something we're to be devoted to. Start filling up, as it were, a treasure chest of promises from the word of God. Scour God's word. Shamelessly grab every promise you find. Write them down or highlight them, whatever way you can recall them quickly. Put them in a treasure chest, metaphorically, okay? Because they're there for you. Every promise finds its yes in Christ. Now listen, some promises are for the eternal age. Okay, we get that? But every promise finds its yes in Jesus and we may grab them and we may pray them and God wants to bless you with them. Listen, way more than you want to be blessed by them. You're not better than God, are you? He wants them for you more than you do the good things that he's promised you. So put those promises in your hand. Okay, grab them out of the treasure chest. Put them in your hand and bring them to God, asking him to fulfill his word. Ask him in Jesus' name and expect him to answer. Amen? Luke Luke 11, 13. So, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. There's a lot of overlapping accounts and stories in those three gospels. Luke eleven thirteen. Luke 11 is similar to Matthew 7 in, in the teaching on prayer. And here's what Luke eleven thirteen says. If you being evil parents know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, in Matthew 7, remember, he said, how how much more will your father give good things? Luke, I don't know. I'm not sure if this was in his mind or Holy Spirit inspiration, but he just cuts through the chase and says, Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's the best good thing, right? That's the, the best good thing that we could ask that God could give us in this age as his children is the spirit of adoption dwelling in our hearts with us forever. 
sanctifying us, leading us in truth, encouraging us, giving us courage and boldness to live and proclaim his goodness in this crooked and twisted generation. Let's pray. Father.